It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 149. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. Good afternoon, Gary. How's life here into the world? Uh, finally feels a little bit like winter here. Oh, really? Yeah. We've got our first cold weather. We still are, you know, on, we've got our record ongoing for the latest snowfall in Denver. Um, I was seeing that no sign. Normally you have... Normally you have snow by now. Yes, this is a this is a new record going on for a week or more now for the latest uh, measurable snowfall in the city. So, yeah, with no no sign of it ending. That's very bizarre. Very dry. We We're actually saying- had a dust storm. We had a dust storm on Sunday, where it got really windy. There was a cold front moved in, and the wind blew up all this dust. A lot of people taking pictures of it. A lot of uh, really cool pictures of the city skyline and this huge dust storm kind of halfway covering it, you know, and um, and it's because it's just, we haven't gotten any moisture and uh, well, history shows what happens when you live in this part of the country and there's no moisture. Uh, Turns out, uh, you know, you get dust storms and things get dusty. Yeah. Dust bowl, kind of like the, the uh whenever that was you know grapes of wrath time <laughs> yes yes i you know and i can tell you that uh, i suspect that a lot of that moisture is up here we're actually yeah. setting some records or or approaching some records for like the the wettest november and all that kind of stuff and we've had you know oh, record setting wow. flooding up here in a couple of places and um in our case it's because the moisture come there, there's something called the pineapple express which really is nothing more than uh, the jet stream configured to point almost directly from Hawaii to the Pacific Northwest, and it brings a fair amount of moisture with it. And we've been uh, we've been dealing with that. I don't think I've seen the sun for a week. Um, oh wow! And uh, and yeah, the uh, corgis being lowriders, um, they tend <laughs> to get a little wet out there when we uh, even you know if the wet grass is just a little bit wet, then uh, they're sponging it all up underneath. Yeah. So. Oh, uh, let's see. So I needed to um, make a correction to something I said last week. Well, everything we say is perfectly true at all times. At all times. Um, yeah, I was right, but I was wrong. So last week, I mentioned that my Windows 11 machine, uh, the machine I'm using right now, had a uh, a painting problem, a, a screen paint problem, and that I had fixed it by doing a certain thing. Well, I lied. Um, I actually, uh, earlier that day, was in um, update, I don't want to say update hell, but I was definitely updating like crazy. And um, it was a case where I got my updates confused. Uh, What I had done earlier that day was uh, updated a Windows 10 machine to the 21H2 edition of Windows 10. And I think I said that I had done that to my Windows 11 machine, and that doesn't even make sense for Windows 11. 21H2 is a Windows 10 thing. And, you know, it's, I mean, a lot of people are concerned about the big updates and will it affect their machine. And it's one of those updates that just sort of, I took it, it happened, everything kept on working. Uh, I also did update the Windows 11 machine in pursuit of trying to uh, resolve this screen repaint issue. Uh, But the actual Windows 11 update did not solve the problem. What I had intended to mention last week was that I had to take the additional step of visiting the website for my graphics card manufacturer, which in this case was NVIDIA, 
and downloading drivers that were even more up-to-date than those provided through Windows Update, which is not an unusual thing to have happen. It's not an unusual thing to do, especially when you're trying to diagnose or deal with a problem like this. Uh, but it's not always obvious that, it is some, that it's something worth doing. Most people just rely on Windows Update, and, and that's fine most of the time. But in this case, because the most recent update of Windows 11 didn't solve my problem, I decided to give that one a grasp, you know, give that straw a grasp. And uh, sure enough, that resolved the issue. That is the thing that actually resolved my issue. So I wanted to point that out and make that clear to folks who were maybe listening last week and, and wondering why I was talking about something that didn't exist. Um, and also to point out that, uh, at least in the Windows ecosystem, sometimes, uh, especially when you're dealing with a problem like this, Windows Update isn't always enough. Uh, it's very possible that the updates that I got directly from NVIDIA will eventually make their way into the Windows Update uh, pipeline, but it is a case where you know, it had been sitting like this for at least a couple of weeks, and I just decided to, to move forward. So there you go. And now All my... Right. My screen paints properly, which is uh, as it should be. Cool. But unfortunately, you had other issues. Oh, man, I'll tell you. So one of the lessons, I've mentioned this on my site a couple of times, but and, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, there's this, this, this thing that I think people just don't realize. In fact, I may have even mentioned it on this podcast before. You and I and everybody else, we are under constant attack. Mm. Um, it is often a very slow attack, but it is a very persistent attack. And it is happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every website, every email account, every online account is, a, is trying to get broken into. Somebody's trying to break mm. into those accounts. Now, I mean, obviously, it's constant. And for the most part, it is blocked by uh, the various security measures we put in place, but it exists. And that's one of the reasons or one of the ways that accounts and sites get hacked. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is because the website of a friend of mine, in fact, got hacked. Uh, I ended up looking at it a couple of weeks ago, and there were like uh, odd files in some places and the notification, the, the how I found out about this, um, I'm listed as an admin for this site, and I have it uh, configured in Google Search Console so that I can get, you know, statistics and the usual things you would get out of, out of Google Search Console. And uh, I just, out of the blue, I got this notification that a new email address had been added as an administrator for that particular uh, site. Hmm. which was odd. I mean, there are, you know, other people working on it. So I thought, huh, okay, well, I don't recognize the email address, but maybe it's them. And uh, I reached out and nobody knew what it was about. And then I went out to the site uh, in order to become an administrator on the, on Google search console, you have to prove you have access to the site by putting a file that Google provides in a specific location. Mm -hmm. So basically your ability to update the site or to make a defined change to the site confirms that you have access to the site and because you have access to the site, you must be you know, authorized. They weren't. Um, they had gained access to the site through means that I am still unsure of. 
I have some theories. Uh, but what I learned, so this was two weeks ago. And I basically undid what I found. I removed their access. I cleaned up a few files here and there uh, and hoped that all was well. Um, yesterday afternoon, I got another email from Google Search Console saying that yet another random email address had been added as the administrator for that site or as an owner of that site. So I knew, you know, something huh. was yeah. fishy for sure. Uh, to be clear, this is a WordPress site. And much like Windows is this huge, huge target for hackers when it comes to PCs because you know, they own the installed base, right? Uh -huh. If you're going to take the time to write malicious software, you're going to write it for Windows because you've got the most targets to shoot at. Um, when it comes to websites, WordPress drives something like a third of all websites on the internet right now. It's some incredibly high number. Um, it was high to begin with, and I think it's only getting higher. And indeed, this is a WordPress website. So, of course, the folks that are interested in hacking websites are doing this uh, generally targeting WordPress websites. Like I said, I don't specifically know how they got in. But what I did realize last night uh, that took me a good hour or two to end up cleaning it all up is that I had done an improper job, an incomplete job of both understanding how they got back in and uh, understanding all the little places that they put things. Um, they, they basically littered the site with uh, not just back doors so that they could get back in, but also uh, things to make it more difficult for people to fix the site. Uh, for you know, for those that understand, it's like they uh, they basically turned off the administrative area within WordPress. They made it impossible to get there. You know, you can't get there from here, and uh, that's kind of critical when you're trying to reconstruct or rebuild or regain access to the site. Fortunately, I was able to figure all that stuff out, and you know, delete this and remove that and undo this and that, and I was able to get the site back up and running. Uh, actually, to be honest, the site itself kept on running. If you just went to visit this website, it mm -hmm. looked like nothing at all was wrong. If you tried to log in to make changes, well, then you started to see some problems. Uh, the um, So like I said, I spent a tremendous amount of time last night fixing uh, what was going on here. There are some interesting takeaways from this. Uh, one is one of the things they did, I still don't know how they got in the first time. I have some theories, but they're just theories. I just, I can't confirm what they did, but I know how they stayed in because what they did the first time is they installed some software on the machine that essentially reported to them via email whenever anybody logged in as an administrator. And in that email was the name of the account logging in and that account's password. So even changing the password for the administrator, which of course I did two weeks ago, uh, wasn't enough because as soon as I logged in again with that path, with the new password, they got notified <laughs> that I had logged in with this new mm -hmm. password. And now they had administrative access by logging in as me. Um, so that was part of it. Uh, like I said, they disabled uh, administrative access to the site at various levels uh, to make it more difficult to recover. Uh, my theory is that uh, it was an outdated plugin. Uh, most oh, yeah. of the time, uh, if there's a WordPress vulnerabilities tend to get fixed 
pretty quickly, uh, especially if they're serious security vulnerabilities. Plugins, they run the gamut of, of plugins that are really, really on top of things to plugins that haven't been updated in a half year or two. And those are the ones you really have to kind of sort of be careful of, uh, making sure that you're using one that is you know, being maintained because uh, you know, all software has bugs and it's just a matter of as soon as something is found that turns into a security vulnerability, you want the developer of that plugin to be able to be responsive and resolve the issues as quickly as possible. So my theory is simply that um, there was an out-of-date plugin probably uh, and they probably made use of some vulnerability in that plugin that allowed them to start dropping files uh, into the uh, the WordPress folder structure. And that then allowed them to take the next step, which was to you know essentially give themselves remote access to the site. So um, with takeaway number one for the average consumer, keep your software up to date. Um, it's, it's really easy not to. It's a pain sometimes to have to do it. But this is a classic example, I believe, of, you know, if you don't, this is the kind of stuff that can happen. It can happen to websites. It can happen to PCs. Um, it can happen to Macs. It can happen to any, any uh, device, uh, depending on uh, how actively it's being targeted by malicious uh, hackers. Mm. Now, the other thing I did um, is I as soon as I realized that uh, they had installed this back door that was reporting to them the usernames and passwords of the uh, of, you know, administrative access to the, the machine, the, the site, um, I, as I re-enabled the security plugin that they had in fact disabled, mm. uh, it had the option to turn on two-factor authentication mm. so that even with the password, they still would not have been able to log in. And even better, I would have gotten notified because somebody would have, you know, I would have gotten a two-factor authentication request via email is the approach that right. we're using in the site. Uh, so that's the other thing I did. Hopefully, hopefully um, it is uh, secure. We are uh, basically, I've put it in what I'm calling a cool down period. We're not doing anything to the site for the next, I'll say week or so just to make sure that I haven't missed anything, that there aren't anything, I'm keeping an extra, extra you know, pair of eyes on it um, and uh, just sort of hoping that things go better. But the other, the other takeaway, um, and this is an important one also for, again, the average computer user, the average online uh, service user, two-factor authentication, man, um, it, it really can save your butt. Because even if somehow your password leaks, be it through you know this kind of a software injection or a keystroke logger on your PC or somebody even just shoulder surfing and happening to be happening to be really good at watching what you type, um, it does them no good if you have two-factor authentication turned on. And that's something that I think uh, the biggest change that results from this on this site specifically is that we'll be requiring two-factor authentication for all the administrator accounts to mm -hmm. prevent this kind of stuff from happening again in the future. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that was uh, that was my, my Monday night was uh, going through and, and um, learning how to uh, 
know, brushing up on some of my Linux commands because since I couldn't get into the site through the WordPress interface, I had to go in <clears throat> under the hood, so to speak, um, and uh, refreshing myself on Linux commands, on how to find things, on how to uh, automate the deletion of uh, about a hundred different files. Uh, it was it was quite the quite the mess. If it weren't if I weren't under the pressure of, oh my God, the site is hacked, we need to fix it. Um, it's actually kind of fascinating. It's actually kind of interesting to, to see what kinds of techniques the uh, the hackers are using and what kinds of things you can do about it. Oh, sure. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I've um, It's been a while, but uh, yeah, there is that, you know, especially if you, if you found a way, find a way to shut, shut it down quickly. You know, um, the hacks I experienced, oh, more than a decade, maybe 15 years ago, were all about, you know, putting ads on the site that weren't, you know, your ads and all that kind of right. thing. So, you know, once you discover all oh, of this is going on and you can shut the people out and then you can take your time and go through and see well, what happened. This is like, you know, the closest someone like like you or me is going to get to, you know, crime forensic investigation. Yes. <laughs> you know, and you feel like you're I, I, it's very geeky, but you feel like you're in kind of like the detective show. You know, looking at what's oh, this is this file changed, and how did this? Cha oh, this file changed that file, and you know, and yep. all this, and you get into it, and it's like oh, fascinating! Wow, if only these people had put like this amount of effort into something actually productive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. That is one thing I wanted to mention. You mentioned that you know it was about placing ads that weren't yours on the site, and thinking about this and explaining in explaining this actually to the site owner. Uh, you know, one always asks the question, why do they do this? What's the purpose yeah. behind the hack? In this particular case, uh, it appears that they were attempting to do search engine optimization tricks. So what mm -hmm. that means is uh, for Google, for the search engine, the more links you have to your site, in theory, from other sites, the more important your site must be, and therefore the higher it ranks in search engine results. So what these hackers do is they will go out and hack websites, and they won't actually deface your site. And in fact, it's their goal for you to never notice. Yeah. But what they do is they add extra pages to your site that contain these links to the sites that they're trying to push higher in the search engine results. And the theory is that that's what this particular hack was all about, was trying to place content uh, that would allow them to basically manipulate search engine results. The other two techniques or the other two things that hackers will often try to do, um, the only other time I've ever been hacked on one of my servers, and again, also like you, a decade or so ago, um, was a spam bot. They were attempting to install uh, spam sending software on my server. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's another way, another reason that's not as prevalent these days because what they're using for spam is more, more commonly, um, a botnet spread out across thousands of machines. When you infect a specific machine, a single server like mine, or this, this friends of mine, um, it's shut down pretty quickly by the, uh, spam filters. They recognize that there's a bunch of spam coming from this specific server. So this specific server, uh, is blocked essentially, mm. and because yeah. that's so quick and easy, uh, that's why uh, botnets are the uh, the spammers' technique of choice. And of mm. late, of the last couple of years, the other thing they try and do is install cryptocurrency miners. 
uh, which is, uh, that is the kind of a thing you know, uh, you'll notice because your server will start to get slow because it's using all of its um, uh, CPU on mining, or your visitors' machines start to get slow because when they visit your site, they will download uh, this you know cryptocurrency mining software that then runs on their machine. But uh, again, in both of these cases, both of those latter cases, I don't think that's what was happening here. This one was all about search engine optimization. And in fact, what I thought was kind of interesting, um, I typoed the, um, the domain once when I was uh, going to the website and it came up in Google search results. And the very first entry was uh, this domain, the correct domain with some... Chinese characters, right? Foreign, foreign alphabet, foreign characters listed, um, and in nice red letters, courtesy of Google, this site might be hacked. <laughs> well, yeah. there was nothing might about it; it was absolutely hacked. So now we have to wait for uh, for all that to uh, flush out of Google's cache and so forth. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, it was an interesting exercise. Yeah, my first uh, experience with hacking was um, so. It was a weak password to a website mm. and they just broke into it. Now, you know, how could I be so stupid to do that? There was no two-factor authentication. Well, the thing is there was no two-factor authentication because that didn't exist yet. Right. <laughs> so I set up um, in 1996, I bought my you know, first couple of domains, uh, set up things. And one of those domains was not being used. It was simply, a, oh, this is a good idea. I'm going to use it at some point in the future. And I bought the domain and I pointed it to a website. Didn't need to, but back then in those days, you know, it wasn't always, you know, quite as clear what you needed to do or not do. Right. Right. So it's like, oh, I bought a domain. I need to spin up a, you know, a, a, a little like website with nothing on it. Right. I just put a little like under construction sign. And, uh, and I did so. And it was 1996. 25 <laughs> so, years ago. Yes. Yeah, so it, <laughs> You know, it's hard to believe that, you know, we had a time when this kind of deal was, you just didn't think about it. I mean, 1996, 25 years ago, it still doesn't seem that long ago in some ways, but 1996, the idea of somebody hacking into your website was kind of ridiculous um, because we didn't, even vi computer viruses weren't that big of a thing yet, or at least spreading over the internet. And there was nothing at the site. The site literally said under construction, period. Right. <laughs> there was nothing there, nothing there. There's nothing to protect. So I put a simple password on it and that was it. Well, years go by, maybe just two or three years. So we're talking about 98, 99. Right. And I forget about this site until I get a call from my ISP saying, uh, something's <laughs> going on with this site here. <laughs> you may want to check it out. We hope it's not you. <laughs> and of course, it was still somebody had broken into it and filled it with viruses for uh, other things to download. So, you know, when you would maybe get infected with some sort of uh, little virus, they would download more software. Right. And it was using my server to store that software to make it available. Um, so I you know, logged in and it should have been a directory with one HTML file, the under construction thing. And instead it was you know, hundreds and hundreds of .exes and such. Um, and it was simple as basically just clearing it out, setting right. a, a real password to it. Um, and, and that was all, but it just never occurred. It, it was like not, I wasn't protecting it because I thought there's nothing to protect. What could you possibly get out of an empty website? Well, turns out eventually people had uses for empty websites. 
It's fascinating because this is a similar thought that I hear from a lot of people when they decide not to use particularly strong encryption or um, passwords or security yeah. for their for their various online accounts. I mean, I, you know, I don't have anything in my bank account, or um, I, you know, I mm. this is this doesn't mean anything to me. Why would I want to protect it? Hackers will find a use. <laughs> they just yeah. Will. Um, so yeah, I, that's that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So did you ever uh, end up using the site, uh, the domain? No. As a matter of fact, as we were talking, I checked on it because I think it, I think it's, I let it pass. I, so I held on to it for 20 years and uh-huh. eventually did not use it as it, a lot of domains, of course, <laughs> you know, there's, and I actually, there's probably a dozen domains that uh, last year uh, I'd still been holding on to and using marginally for my my online you know web based games, and as there weren't they weren't getting much traffic anymore. Uh, a lot of them had been downsized to be just very simple. You know, here just play this game and there's no ads or whatever. Right. Um, but with the demise of Flash, um, which a lot of the games were created with, um, there was no point. Nothing would actually work on those sites. So those sites suddenly became blank sites that just re- or redirected URLs actually that went to my main site. Or mm-hmm. I have my apps, and then all those domains. Some of them I just kind of let pass because uh, there wasn't enough traffic coming into them. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of domains. I probably spent way too much money on domains I never used, but just renewed year after year. I think that's a a common refrain amongst, especially the uh, the early crowd of internet entrepreneurs that yep. you and I happen to be. Uh, to be uh, associated with is that we're all kind of, oh, that's a cool domain. I should buy that. Oh, that's a cool domain. I should buy that. About, like you said, 10 or 20 years later, it's like, oh, I guess I'm never really going to do anything with it. Exactly. At some point, yeah. But, you know, it becomes like a, well, it's, it's like a poker thing. You know, when you play poker, you if you have the tendency, if you think you might have a good hand, you put some money in. And, you, and then when you get to the point where logically you just say, oh, I can't win this. Um, but you think, oh, I've already, there's already like $5 or $10 of my money in this pot. I have to protect that money somehow. But it's like, no, <laughs> you have to give up on it. Yep. Because if you've come to the conclusion that you can't win because somebody else is is way too, you know, way too anxious to win this, um, then you have to kind of give up and and just give up on that money. And the same thing with, you know, these domains, you know, okay, yeah, may I may have paid for this domain for the last 20 years. But am I realistically going to use it? Because yep. otherwise, I'm just throwing more more money at it. It's the old sunk cost fallacy. Yes, exactly. That's the term I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> sunk cost. Yep. Yep. And sometimes you just got to cut your losses. Yep. Sadly. But it's hard to, I mean, some of those domains were so cool. <laughs> I know. And some of them, you know, what helps is with the, the demise of like the web-based game kind of thing, a lot of those very specific to terms like they had the terms flash or shockwave or something in it. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly those became a lot less valuable. Right. And I was able to let go. It's like, well, what's that going to be good for? Right. But uh, although I, I did own a domain for years that had the term meta in it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it wasn't just, it wasn't meta.com. Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be tragic. But it uh, was a, a website that was meta something com, and and strangely enough, I the original idea for it was to come up with a kind of build your own homepage system, and it could be linked to other homepages, and you could update your status. In other words, like a basic social network, like back around two thousand two thousand one, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I never used it. I never built that thing. Uh, and probably five or six years ago, I let the domain name lapse. Um, and I don't know if it would be worth anything now, but certainly it would be worth more now than it, let's say a month ago. Yes. Yes. Anything with meta in it just suddenly became more valuable. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Um, speaking of large organizations, uh, yes. one of the things that complicated uh, some additional uh, sleuthing I was doing this morning because I was double checking to make sure everything in that compromised website was still working this morning um, is that Amazon Web Services had apparently this fairly major outage um, and a bunch, and I do mean a bunch of different uh, online services were either compromised, crippled, or just not working at all. Mm. And um, I, I basically, I, I since Ask Leo itself is on an Amazon Web Services server, I you know quickly went and looked and made sure that my stuff was up. And yes, um, the problems for AWS were apparently all centered on uh, their East Coast data center, which you know, given it's the East Coast, there are probably you know a ton of services out there. But fortunately, uh, mine weren't affected. I'm down in the in the West Coast data center down in Oregon somewhere. But the um, the side effect, of course, is that all of a sudden you keep hearing from people that, well, this isn't working, and that's not working, and this isn't working, and it just uh, cracked me up because all of a sudden you realize that all of those services that you didn't realize have this common thread have a common thread. They're all either hosted on or built on, or at least reliant on some significant portion of Amazon Web Services services, um, which again, I also find fairly fascinating. It's it's tough because on one hand, um, it's it seems kind of odd to put everybody's eggs in one basket, um, but on the other hand, the economy of scale, uh, you know, letting the 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 data center people at Amazon Web Services worry about the servers and the hard disks and all that kind of stuff um, is way more cost-effective for most of these companies than it is to spin up your own server or do other things. I know that even at my tiny little level for Ask Leo, um, the running on AWS is extremely cost-effective um, and competitive with some of the other alternatives that I've used over the years that I've looked at over the years. But um, it does mean that uh, you know I'm at their mercy should something go wrong. Um, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Now, one of the, it didn't dawn on me until much later that um, when my wife got up this morning, she said, hey, you know, I was trying to tell um, um, the dingus, the the A word, the Amazon um, uh, verbal response uh, privacy breaking <laughs> puck. Yeah. There, there, needs to, there needs to be an acronym for that that doesn't spell out, you know, A-X-L-E-X-A. Um, Anyway, the um, she said, you know, I, I tried to turn off the bedroom lights and it wouldn't. You know, it just it just wouldn't. It said, you know, unable to or something like that. And nothing happened. Didn't dawn on me until later that yeah, you know, that those um, Echo services are all in Amazon Web Services as one might expect. Uh, and in fact, it's very likely that things like um, our uh, not only were you know these these voice response lights not necessarily working. But the uh, it actually gets a little bit more complicated than that because I was able to turn on lights elsewhere in the house using that, and it worked just fine. I think what hmm. was broken here was the link between um, the Echo services and the Samsung services that happened to be 
uh, drive the lights in our bedroom, which is odd and overly complicated, but it is what it is. Um, anyway, uh, it dawned on me though that you know when that goes down, when those services go down, not only may we not necessarily be able to turn off our lights using voice commands, there's always still switches, but there's you know you can't necessarily turn off, um, you know tell tell the thing to turn off your lights. Um, your doorbell may not work, or the camera in the doorbell may not work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, you know three ring cameras, uh, doorbells with cameras. And it turns out to be, we've come to rely on them pretty heavily. It's kind of nice to be able to see who's at the door um, or know that somebody's coming or see in, in the case with our remodel going on right now, I end up using my back door camera more often to see if the contractors are still here, right? right. Is their vehicle still parked out behind the house? Nope. Okay. They've gone for the day. I can go lock it up. So um, I just thought that was kind of interesting and an interesting side effect of, you know, Here's something that um, is, in a sense, a single point of failure for a lot of different services on the internet, both big, you know, the big things that were breaking uh, elsewhere, and little, like the doorbell in my house. Mm, yeah. And speaking of doorbells. I was going to say, I think you just <laughs> joined, joined the crowd, didn't you? Well, yeah. So uh, I, have, I have talked before on this very show about um, my, uh, my feelings about doorbell cameras. And, and I still don't have a doorbell camera, technically. Um, the the problem, problems I have with doorbell cameras, uh, first of all, is that I see lots of people uh, installing them to stop porch pirates, but I don't see any porch pirates getting stopped. I see a lot of them getting recorded right? and a lot of people having uh, things to post online. Hey, look, here's a picture of my package getting stolen. But in the end, I, I look very carefully and I'm with a lot of curiosity at all of these things being reported on Nextdoor, Reddit and the like, yep. and try to find a case where somebody actually gets their package. And <laughs> that's, that just doesn't be, so it's like, okay, so you spend how much money on that? And then cloud services to store the video um, and you're not getting your packages back. Um, so what's the point? Uh, so but there is the other use, which is kind of more of a just general security kind of thing. Uh, right. I've in the past dabbled with security cameras, internet enabled security cameras uh, to be able to monitor the house uh, when I'm away. Um, and, you know, it's actually been years thanks to the pandemic, but also thanks to house sitters and pets mm-hmm. <laughs> since the house has been left alone. Uh, because even before the pandemic, uh, when we would travel, we would usually have house sitters because, you know, like you, there's a dog mm-hmm. um, and there's cats and it's just easier sometimes to get a house sitter to be here with the pets um, than finding places for them all to go or somebody to check in and all right. this stuff. So we've been lucky and it, and it probably has been many years since the house has been left alone at night. Uh, but the last trip we took over Thanksgiving, that was what happened. And uh, I decided, oh, Boy, that's really going to be a long time. The house is going to be left alone. I, you know, I don't have any security cameras. <laughs> I have security cameras; they're all outdated and not working, and you know, using antiquated systems and stuff. So I just took a casual look and was surprised at how cheap they have become. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was surprised at how well the battery technology works because I've got an old house, and one of the problems with security cameras, especially outside the house is I don't have any real electricity outside the house. You know, I've got like a utility outlet in the backyard um, that's not convenient for anything. 
and really no other place to like, you know, like I couldn't do a doorbell cam. I've got no electricity there. I've got to install some sort of electricity first. Right. But I found that, you know, there are cameras now that basically are really smart with their use of battery and will use the, uh, you know, the high capacity batteries in them and you recharge them once every few months. So maybe it's not so bad. So I decided to dive in and uh and try them oh also i had a mysterious thing happen um the uh just something on our front porch was moved in a in a very mysterious way one day (laughs) and in a way that kind of makes you scratch your head and say what was the point of that like who took our snow shovel out of this corner and then carefully placed it over there you know it was like i can understand if it was lying in the middle of the floor somebody was searching for something or had been thrown or removed but it was just very strange. I mean, I started to actually question whether or not maybe I slept walked and <laughs> did that myself because and you just haven't had any, any snow. So it's not like somebody yeah. it, just put it back in the wrong place. Right. I just could not figure it out. So it was one of those <laughs> things where I was like, I wish I had a camera because I just want to know what happened to make that result. So anyway, so I bought some cheap cameras and I, and I saw there are various ones out there competing and it's all the usual names. I went with the Amazon brand, which is Blink. Um, little cameras, you can put them outside. And I thought, well, you know, there's a trial for the cloud services. If I, it's I, the trip I'm going on will be covered uh, by that, you know, trial period. Mm-hmm. So I could, you know, they weren't that expensive. So I got them, installed them. Uh, they came in a three pack. So one by the front door. But it's not a doorbell camera. Right. It just sits there and it detects motion um, and records a little video clip of the motion. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. Um, it's not actually. Uh, you know, you don't ring it or you you don't interact with it at all. As a matter of fact, I installed it in the ceiling, pointing down. And then I took two others and put them in the backyard. So, um, so yeah. So so I was really impressed because my previous experience with cameras like this is that first of all the motion sensing is horrible <laughs> especially since this porch is near the front you know near a street where there's cars right. with headlights and and all sorts of things and every sunset and sunrise is some sort of motion when the sun right. lights it up too much and all this stuff so i expected that and i was really impressed by how smart it was in only sending me real motion like mm-hmm. somebody actually really there um so things have gone a long way in the last few years with that. Uh, also in the options that are there, being able to like, you know, say exactly which parts of the picture you should detect motion in yes, rather than the whole thing. Um, also being able to, uh, uh, you know, let's see, uh, set up like how you get the notifications, mm-hmm. uh, set up timers for like, oh, you know, go on at this time or uh, that time. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the thing is that, uh, I, I set them up and I didn't for that whole week I was gone, not one false positive, Oh, cool! which was super impressive. Mm-hmm. It was the, uh, front porch captured every delivery from the mailman, every delivery from a delivery service, the person coming in to look on, uh, over the cats, every single one of those got captured in the front. Mm-hmm. The back did not go off once, but before we left, the back went off every time the dog went out there. <laughs> and when we got home, every time the dog went out, it was captured. So I know there were, they were working. Right. 
Right. Uh, it was very impressive. Uh, the ability to to uh, monitor them uh, using you know the app on the phone, very impressive. I wish there was a website version of that, but it's an app. Um, oh, you know, really? It's kind of, kind of frustrating because it's like you're on your laptop and it's like, uh, you know, but the app is really well designed and it works mm-hmm. and it works so much better than the old ones. I think I had a D-Link camera that did right. it before and everything I just mentioned, it did very poorly. <laughs> um, but plus the app was like super slow. You know, if you wanted to, to log in and, and look at stuff, it was like, ugh, take, took forever. This is like, I mean, if I got an alert saying, oh, there's motion at the front door, I mean, within a second or two, I could be looking at it right. on my phone. And so are, really are you looking quick, at the re- at the recording, or do you switch it to a live? View? Either one, uh, okay. yeah, recording or you know a live one, and um, yeah. So the uh, so that was really cool, and I probably will pay for it to continue after the, mm-hmm. the time is over. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I complain about is present, but I turned it off, and that's the neighborhood sharing kind of deal. Oh, right. There's a neighborhood sharing kind of deal, and that really creeps me out. I, I don't like the fact that so many people have these doorbell cams, mostly another brand, um, and that some of those, well, a lot of those people could see me every time I walk my dog past the front door, um, which is like weird. Not It's not so weird. If I lived on a street where there was like one other house, like out in the country, and every time I walked by my neighbor's door, their camera picked me up, I'd be okay with that. But it's all these people I don't know, probably dozens or even hundreds, depending on how long the walk is are picking me up on their cameras. And some of those are actually shared with not only a neighborhood system, but the police. Right. And yeah, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just walking my dog, but. Or so you say. Yeah, So I say, yeah, (laughs) it's just kind of just weird and and creepy. There actually have been reports of people saying that, like, you know, having neighbors mad at them for doing nothing wrong. Right. You know, just saying, oh, I see you walking your dog past our front door. And then I find somebody has not picked up after the dog on our side yard. So I assume it's you. Oh, right. And the person saying, it's not us, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they're now at war with us because they think it's us because they see us on their camera, you know, um, stuff like that. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I've turned that off and I don't plan to turn it on. There's also, you know, the cameras are pretty cheap and they have some interior cameras as well. Yes. Um, that are even cheaper because they're not battery powered and all that. You just plug mm-hmm. them in. Um, and I was thinking uh, I might get a few of those because if I'm playing for the plan, I think once you pay for that unlimited plan, it doesn't matter how many cameras you have. Right. So, you know, even having some pet type of stuff, you know, where we just want to see, like, you know, have it on the cat food, you know, is the cat food okay? And, you know, I, that I, kind of thing. I, I can't remember. I, I, I have this vague feeling that I told this story here before, but. Um, we're just like, you've got blink, we've got ring also yeah. owned by Amazon. Um, I suspect that at some point it wouldn't surprise me if they merged or if their backend technologies were already merged because the features you've described are very similar to what I have. But, um, we did get an indoor camera specifically because we kept finding pee puddles oh. in a particular place <laughs> in our house yeah. and we weren't sure which of the three dogs we had at the time was responsible. Uh, whoever whoever it was, was very, very stealthy uh, mm-hmm. and would never, ever do it in a way that we could, you know, 
put two and two together. So indeed, I, I set up a camera and sure enough, like within a day, yep, there's the dog walking over to that spot, taking a leak. So it definitely. Uh, They're so helped. smart when they want to be. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like you, I mean, we've got the, the like I said, we've got the doorbell. We actually do have doorbell cameras. I struggled with the power issue because I really don't want to be replacing batteries or having to remember to yeah. recharge things. But um, our all of our doorbells were the old style that actually had wires that went back to a yeah. doorbell. So what we did instead is I got the version of the Ring doorbell cameras that use an external power supply yeah, um, and just ran that across those wires. So the wires got disconnected at both ends from everything that they used to be, you know, a button on one side and the actual doorbell at the other. But then we um, uh, mounted in a little power supply and that's plenty, right? Then, then they're just, they're always on and I never, ever have to worry about them. We're far enough away from the road here that... Uh, it never triggers on somebody walking by. Uh, what will trigger on occasionally is at night. Uh, if headlights happen to yeah. move across the field of view, then those might show up. The interesting ones are uh, the, the back door doorbell is actually above, um, just above where the fence comes to, you know, terminates at the house. And every once in a while, a little trigger because the cat's, you know, neighbor's cat is visiting us, right? So the cat has mm. jumped up onto the, uh, up onto the top of the fence and set off the motion detector. The one that was really weird was that every once in a while, the, uh, one of the uh, front door cameras would fire with motion. And I'd look and there was nothing except for a few seconds of a moth that happened to fly across yeah. the field of view. Yeah, we got a bird uh, one day after we got back, and it was actually quite a nice shot of the bird coming in and and sitting on, you know, flying around on the porch a bit, cool. jumping around, just investigating, and left. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, I, 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 that was actually worth, you know, you were usually, oh, a false positive, ah, shake your fist. I was like, no, that was worth it. <laughs> if if a bird visited once a week, I'd be fine with looking at that video for sure, for sure. 15 seconds. The one um, thing I am glad is that I have the opportunity to actually snooze notifications. So I don't get constant notifications yeah. for a period of time, because like I said, with the remodeled thing that's going on here, the back door can be really, really busy during the day. And I just don't want to get notified every time somebody walks past the camera. Uh, so yeah, that's nice to be able to say, you know, don't notify me for another four hours. Yeah. Unfortunately. So for, for blink, the, you can you can arm and disarm the system and you could set a all sorts of timers for arming and disarming the system you can get as mm -hmm. complex as you want you know turn on at this time off at that time different days of the week everything you could even hook it up with if this then that.com and, <laughs> right. and do things right so so you know whenever the stock market goes up a certain amount you turn on the camera i don't know but <laughs> you could but you can only disarm or arm the entire system what I really need is I want the front door, the front one for the front door to be on all the time so I can see when I get packages. But the backyard, I do not want on all the time because of the dog. Right. So I have to manually do that. So I just in the morning, I get up and I turn off, you know, there's fortunately in the app, there are two quick little buttons I can tap. Mm -hmm. And turn off the backyard once. And then at night when I go to bed, it's making a part of my routine to turn them on. Um, 
and that way, uh, you know, I could do, I just wish there was a way to have like different modes, you know, and you switch between that or, or whatever, but, uh, but yeah. Oh, and also they have temperature sensors, which is kind of nice too. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you can look and if, and it's weird seeing the different ones. I mean, there is the one in the backyard isn't actually attached to the house. It's actually attached to a tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that one, um, actually shows a different temperature, usually cooler than the ones that are attached to the house, I guess, from the house radiating some heat. Uh, yeah. That what was kind of facing does your house have? Is it brick or wood? It's a, well, it's a brick, but both of these cameras are attached to wood parts. Okay. So, and I think, yeah, I could see definitely there's wood between some windows and definitely see more heat escaping where this one is. And the other one is on the ceiling of the porch, which probably traps some heat in it. I could. Um, So that explains. And then the one on the tree is just way out there in the elements and, uh, you know, probably has less, but but anyway, it's been it's been a decent experience. It's it's been interesting, and um, we uh, also did get ourselves a couple of years ago now a uh, a weather station that oh, yeah. is you know once again another Internet of Things. It's connected to the internet, so I can see you know how hot it is at home when I'm traveling. But that's been real interesting with the uh, uh, recent well, this year's weather has just been weird, right? We had record-setting right. heat this summer. Uh, it's been very wet this fall. And since it's a full weather station, it's actually keeping records of all that stuff. And uh, it's been really interesting to just sort of watch the uh, the various extremes happen and have a good understanding of, yeah, you know, it felt like a lot of rain. Yep, that was an awful lot of rain. So, Yep, indeed. So what did you uh, find cool and interesting this week? So have you ever heard of Cowboy Bebop? I have. I've heard of it, but I've not experienced it in any of its forms. Okay. So, indeed, there are two forms. The Cowboy Bebop is a um, an animated series uh, from, gosh, I want to say about 20 years ago. Um, it's uh, Japanese animation. Uh, it's a story about a couple of spacefaring bounty hunters um, in a, uh, and I wouldn't even call it a dystopian future, but just a future. And it's it's interesting. It's cute. Uh, you will not be surprised when you hear what about it caught our attention. Do you have a clue? Uh, uh, no. What what caught your attention? It has a corgi in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a. It's funny. In fact, uh, for various reasons, I was rewatching the animation here a couple of days ago, and yes, the corgi gets introduced in the second episode. Um, and you know, of course, 20 years ago is when we were just getting into corgis. And if you ever wonder, I mean, you may or may not wonder, but one of the things that's prevalent in the corgi community is that there are an awful lot of dogs named Ein, E-I-M, which is Mm. short for Einstein, which is the name of this dog in Cowboy Bebop. Anyway, Ah. um, it's a, it's a, pretty cool um, animated series. We enjoyed it. It's very stylistic. It's it's almost a, a film noir kind of, of vibe to it, except of course it's in the, uh, um, in this, you know, future, you know, or future world. Uh, anyway, a couple of, about a year ago, maybe two years ago, uh, it all got, got kind of mucked about by the pandemic. They announced that they were doing a live action version of Cowboy Bebop. And that released on Netflix a couple of weeks ago. And we watched it end to end. 
complete with live action Corgi. And uh, we really, I really enjoyed it. My wife, eh, she liked it, but uh, she wanted to see more of the dog, but um, I enjoyed it. And one of the things that I noted about it, especially after going back and watching a couple of episodes of the animated series again, is that they did a really, really good job of maintaining this stylistic feel of the animation, uh, right down to the music, the the background music, the style of how things are shot. Um, it was just really, really well done from my perspective. And I, we really enjoyed it. Uh, it is, I'm trying to remember if it was eight or 10 episodes. Uh, and there hasn't been a commitment for a season two yet, but um, as so many of these shows do these days, um, there's a very clear path and there's enough uh, things that were present in the animation that didn't quite make it into the live action version that they've got a lot of stuff that they can work with coming up. So anyway, um, if that's the kind of a thing, if, if you like um, animation, uh, if you like uh, Japanese animation, if you like uh, film noir style stuff, if you like corgis, then uh, Cowboy Bebop, uh, either incarnation is worth looking at, but the live action one turned out really, really well. We're very happy. Yeah, that's that's what stopped me from jumping right into the the new show was I never saw the animated one. And it's I, I sort of like said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to watch the anim- I'm going to watch the animated one first. Mm-hmm. But of course, I haven't gotten around to it. Of course, yeah. you have to buy. I think it's only available for purchase. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. Um, um, no, they're both on Netflix. Oh, oh, really? Okay, yes. well, maybe that has changed since the launch. I don't know. Yeah, uh, no, they, but, it, it, the live action launched on Netflix, and they had the uh, the animated version well, there for a while already. Would you recommend that I watch the animated one first and then live, Boy. or would you say no? Just watch the live one; it's fine. Um. That's, you know, it's funny because in so many of these shows, there's a very obvious answer, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's one that's that's markedly better than the other. Um, I am having a really hard time. Um, I think for the full experience, I'd probably have you do the animated version first. Okay. But uh, you'll be fine if you if you skip that and just go direct to the live action. I think you'll want to, after you've seen the live action, I'd recommend you take a look at a couple of the animated episodes just to get a feel for what, what it was all based on. Mm. But uh, But yeah. Okay. All right. Um, now for me, I also was busy watching stuff. Uh, as you may or may not know, I'm a huge Beatles fan of all the things I'm a fan of. The thing I've been a fan of the longest has been the Beatles, uh, since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. And, um, so of course I waited with great anticipation as Peter Jackson's documentary, get back approached release that we uh disney teased of it for like a year or a year and a half oh yeah the, the ads uh, were crazy <laughs> yeah i was just like waiting forever for this thing um and for those of you who don't know what it is basically uh in 1969 uh the beatles um had this idea that they were going to maybe do a tv show or a movie they weren't quite sure and uh about them making a an album and they were going to record the album live like they used to when they were just starting out they would always record their their tracks live in the studio they would say go they'd record them playing their instruments and that would be like that's it and then there's the track right and then the beatles got into of course studio recording like most other artists then recording different tracks at different times sometimes not even being in the studio at the same time as the other members um and then somebody mixes it all together so they decided with the new album and the new songs go back to the roots practice the songs and 
then record the album in a live setting, maybe in front of an audience. And they uh, said, well, let's have cameras rolling for the whole thing. So they hired a, a film crew to come in with the director and everything and film everything over the course of one month. And what was going on changed a lot during that month because the beginning they were like, we're going to be in the studio and the studio is going to be transformed into like a place where we perform in front of people. And then they give up on that. And then they went into the, and into their, their own new studio. And they eventually um, decided to just record on the rooftop, which became of course the famous rooftop performance of the Beatles uh, that they did in London in 1969. And so the whole thing was recorded 60 hours of 16 millimeter footage, multiple angles, microphones everywhere. And when it was all done um, and they had it all recorded, uh, things weren't looking so good for the group. They basically quickly recorded another album, Abbey Road, right after that, and then broke up and didn't tell anybody they broke up for like a year. So the film didn't ever, nothing got made out of this 60 hours of 16 millimeter film and everything was so bitter afterwards that all of them basically agreed to just bury it forget it the 60 hours of of, fil of film of us making an album just hide it in a vault somewhere and nobody should ever see that uh but in recent years uh the surviving members of the beatles and the heirs of the others have changed their minds about it and said it's probably time that something was made of that so peter jackson ended up getting somehow getting control of that um, and uh, took the 60 hours and instead of making a TV show or a, um, a movie made basically an eight hour series out of it, three uh, in three sections. Um, I've heard it referred to as, as being Peter Jackson because he took um, some amount of content and turned it into a trilogy. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's long. Uh, I would say that if you are, if you are a real fan like me, it's you're gonna love it. Ten out of ten, mm -hmm. right? It was amazing. I was just, I just thought it was fantastic. Uh, if you're a casual fan of the Beatles, you may find it a bit monotonous, but might be enjoyable to have on in the background. And if you're not a fan of the Beatles, forget it. Don't go anywhere near it. You'll it'll be zero <laughs> out of ten. You'll be like, what is you know all this? I, I mean, for this is footage. You have to understand today, everything is, you know, everybody's recording everything and posting everything everywhere. Back then that didn't happen. Right. Right. If a band recorded an album and a photographer came in and took three pictures, right. They are like treasured pictures of like, Hey, there's a picture of the Rolling Stones recording this album. Right. And here the Beatles have this moment in time where they filmed everything for a month. Uh, and you get to see them in their element and they actually do forget the cameras are there. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're talking about the cameras being there all the time or even saying, like, turn that off when they're getting into an argument or something. But other times they're definitely doing the whole, like, modern day, you know, reality TV show thing of like, hey, they've totally forgotten the cameras are there the way they're talking, you know, and the way they're behaving. Um, there was a you get, uh, to, it, you get to see what it was like yep. in the studio with the Beatles and all this, all the dynamics and all this stuff, it's like a, just an incredible thing to have um, and to be revealed. And it's great to watch it. I mean, when I, I started watching it right away when it came out and in the first episode, you know, the first episode, they're two and a half hours long, each one. Right. Um, there was a moment where uh, John is late at getting to the studio. 
The other three are there and they're talking about how like they need more songs. So Paul grabs his bass and just starts banging at it. And the camera is just capturing him hitting it. And Ringo and George are sitting there across from him doing nothing. Um, and he just starts banging at it. And you hear these notes kind of coming out. And then you start to say, oh, wait, is that Get Back, the song Get Back? Mm-hmm. And, then he str- and then he starts humming and he starts you know, c- coming out with words. And at the end of the two minutes, he's singing Get Back. Right. And it's like, that camera just witnessed Paul McCartney <laughs> taking the song "Get Back" out of thin air. Yep, yep. I was gonna. Like, that's what I was gonna mention too, because I've I've seen that clip. You've seen that clip, and and yep. yeah, the amazing thing is, I just thought that was incredible. Yep. And then I started to see other people thought the same thing, and it's yep. now it's a clip everywhere. I've seen it on TikTok, YouTube, uh, Facebook, everywhere. People are sharing this clip of this happening. So I wasn't the only one. <laughs> this is thought, this is how magic happens. Yes. I know yeah. that was like the moment that 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 a one of the best Beatles songs, in my opinion, was created out of thin air. And then there's another moment where he's actually working on "Let It Be" in the background, but the camera is actually uh, on the other Beatles who are arguing about something. So, you know, the whole point of the cameras is to get this argument but if you know the i guess maybe they did something with the sound because peter jackson obviously knows what he's doing and it's really apparent to you that as you're watching this it's like oh this argument is pointless there's nothing about this argument that needs any attention at all what's really going on here it's in the background in another part of the room paul is composing let it be while this is going on right and anyway so i just thought it was fascinating if you like the beatles uh it's just a gold mine and maybe one of the best things you'll watch this year on, on television. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. It, I have to admit um, eight hours is a bit daunting, Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, you know, I, I would love a highlight reel, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I've, I've heard really, really good things about it and uh, uh, cool. And it, plus if you ever, th- if you're still one of the people that thinks maybe the Beatles broke up because of Yoko, Watching this will dispel that because she's she's there the entire time, mm-hmm. and 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 the other everybody seems to get along fine with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's with each other that they have problems, yeah. and you get to see lots of other guests, uh, including Peter Sellers makes an appearance, and you see uh, other people as well. It's it's really interesting. Very cool. Yeah. All righty. Well, the closest thing we have to advertising on this podcast is we get to plug our own stuff. Um, this week, I would like people to have a look at, should I repair or replace my computer? It's askleo.com slash 138316. It's the age-old question, right? Um, uh, I may have mentioned it before, but um, it's one of those things where you've got a machine, it's acting up. Uh, how much do you invest in, you know, in the sunk cost to bring it all the way around to the beginning of the podcast? Um, or do you cut your losses and get yourself a new machine? There's pros and cons to each, and the article goes through some of the things you want to consider before you make that decision. Mm-hmm. Cool. And um, I want to uh, plug the longest, most involved video I've ever done since starting in, in uh, 2007. I did a video this week. It's called 200 Mac tips and tricks. I wanted to see what it was like to make a really long video (laughs) because I see other YouTube channels that have nearly hour long uh, videos that fall into the same category as me. And mine are always about 10 minutes long. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to go and just make one of these really long videos, just see what it's like. 
Mm-hmm. So I made it and it is out uh, today, the day we're recording this. Um, and it's just a really long, but I do include the timestamps uh, in the, in the video. You can actually jump around in it to different ones. Oh, cool. Yep. Um, and I do helpful, a little, yep. I do a fun thing, which I don't see a lot of other people doing on YouTube. I did like, I guess I've seen it either on cable news or like uh, ESPN, you know, where they put like a thing on the side of the topics they're going to talk about. And then they're highlighted one and you could see what's coming up soon. Right. Oh, right. So if you're, right. So if you're thinking of tuning away, you're like, Oh wait, three down is like, they're talking about my team or about right. my city or some, some issue I want to hear nice. about. So I do the same thing. I put it down a list, a scrolling list down the side, highlighting where I'm at in the list of 200 and you could see what's coming up. Very cool. And how how long did fun. it turn out to be? 57 minutes and 48 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, it was and, a lot and of work. I have to ask, did Two you days. did you do this before or after watching Peter Jackson? Yeah, it was after. So I guess maybe so you were influenced. influenced. I should have yeah. made it a trilogy. I should have done 200 <laughs> Mac, Mac tips and tricks part one. Well, no, it's just, part you know, two, you, part three. I'm going to say you need another, you know, 400 and you can make a trilogy out of it. 200 <laughs> each, right? There you go. 600 Mac tips. There you go. Three parts. That's yeah, that's that sounds like Peter Jacksoning it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, I think that pretty much does us. The show notes for this week are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh149. If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast, or you can always leave a comment on that show notes page. Thanks as always for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.